The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. All right, everyone. Um, this is uh, Deb Cook-Lewis, and welcome to our uh, call on behalf of the ACB Board of Directors related to the um, Code of Conduct um, Policy and Procedural Revisions. I have um, quite a cast of characters with me today. I have uh, Anthony Cronus streaming for us. Thank you, Anthony. I have no less than Cindy Hollis hosting for us. Wow, I don't know. Although you do need to make me host. Oh, I didn't do that yet. Excuse me. I'll do it. <laughs> yes, okay. thank you very much. I'll do Happy that in just one it. moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, see, it's, that, that's what happens when you're nervous, right? <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, and, and uh, let me just introduce our cast of characters. We have um, uh, Mitch Pomerantz, Chris Bell, uh, and Jeff Tom, who are also uh, here Yes button. Thank you. <laughs> all right. There we go. Um, and we're all good. So um, uh, basically uh, today we are here to have uh, comments from you, questions from you um, about the code of conduct policy revisions. They were sent out. Um, they were sent out to the leadership list and to the uh, ACB conversation list. And um, I saw, I have seen that some affiliates have uh, sent them out as well. And I appreciate that. And um, all these guys, plus uh, David Trott, who is not here with us today, um, have all been involved in um, the process of um, um, developing the revisions. So that's why they're here. And um, basically, uh, this came about the um, Board of Directors adopted the Code of Conduct Policy in April of 2021 and established some interim procedures at this summer's uh, board meeting in July. And then now we are um, making a few revisions in those, not really to change them so much as to make the, the process, we hope, um, a little bit more clear and a little bit more defined. Um, the group that was working earlier in the summer just didn't have very much time to pull everything off. And so um, we are in um, uh, now, now basically um, in a situation where we uh, have the time to get that done. So the board is hoping to have comments from members and have this group here um, incorporate those comments um, to the extent um, we think is appropriate into what we send to the board. So our goal is for the board to have something they can adopt if they wish um, for the October 22nd board meeting. So the timelines are that our comment period um, goes from now through um, October 7th. And then that gives this group here a week to kind of uh, check out the comments and, and figure out if we want to make any changes. 
and uh, then at that time uh, send something to the board for consideration. So that's kind of where we are. So uh, would any of you like to add anything um, before we uh, just throw it open for our um, audience to uh, ask us questions or get clarifications or what have you? Uh, Deb, this is Chris Bell. <clears throat> so uh -huh. I do have a question. Since we sent mm -hmm. out the <clears throat> entire uh, document, including the actual code uh -huh. of conduct standards, right. I assume that we can take comments on the standard as well as the well, process, the, right? The standard actually had a slight revision because of the procedures. Um, the procedures, right. uh, the procedures uh, as submitted in July by the board had some conflicts <laughs> with the policy, but we couldn't change the policy, the standard at that time, because people had already uh, signed that agreement for the right. convention so we couldn't make it but we there is a slight modification and basically that modification is to describe uh that instead of sending uh instead of sending the your comments or your 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 complaint to either the acb president the acb executive director or the event coordinator we now have a designated place um, with the human resource specialist where you would send where you would send that and so that moves it into into that process rather than so that is now actually also part of that policy. So they have become one document and the procedural part can obviously be amended much easier than the policy. But yeah, I would think we can take comments on anything that was sent out. Okay, thanks. That's what I thought. Yeah, okay. So um, anyone else have a comment before we take hands? I see. We do have raised hand, uh, hands started, so... And I really want to encourage, I see that there are several board members here and we'll take comments from you as well, but I, you do have your own opportunity specifically as board members to give comments because this is going to be a topic on the agenda at the board meeting and the board can still, in fact, propose revisions at that time. I hope you don't propose really major ones, but you can. So, um, so um, if we end up with a lot of hands, I'm going to ask Cindy to defer to people who are not. But if we don't, I don't have a lot of problem. I just want to make that point sure. clear that there are some people who, who have multiple opportunities by default. So are you ready to take hands? I'm ready if you're okay, ready. Okay, let's go. Um, yeah. Pat. You may unmute. Yeah. It shows you are unmuted, Pat. Oh, I'm sorry. There you are. I was, yeah. trying to get, I was trying to get my headphone on here so I could be understood. <laughs> hey, I worked with uh, David Trott, Jeff Tom, Rosalie, and Julie Fisher on the first revision of this. And we and we talked about it during the uh, prior board, uh, board meeting in July. And I just want to say I think this is a very good document. Deb, you and I talked, and I told you then, I thought that you made some very good improvements on the document. I was extremely pleased to see that you were able to marry both the policy and the process document. And the process document, I think, is good. It had a lot of the things that we had board had uh, agreed was good timelines, 
uh, conflict resolution, which I th- think is key, uh, a process for moving the con- the the um, any any uh, grievances to the um, uh, th- to a committee to a group that would be working on this. So I thought that that was very useful, and um, I just think that there's an awful lot to be said here for a document that's really, really well done. I think one of the best things that we've done with this document also is to put together in another committee, what are we calling it, grievance? I'm not quite sure if you guys have... Conflict resolution. Conflict resolution committee, yes. So that uh, you're taking it out of of the hands of the officers uh, and then the appeals can go to the board. So is it a perfect document? Probably not, but it's a very good process. And so congratulations to this group for really a job well done. Thanks. Well, thank you, Patrick. That means a lot because Patrick, as he said, was um, part of the original um, group to, um, to work on this. So, you know, that's, that's, that's just really, that's really cool. Yeah. We have two, this forms two um, basically uh, working groups that would be involved in the process. There would be the um, conflict resolution teams, which would be two member teams. And we could conceivably have a couple of those. And then there's the actual code of conduct uh, panel that would review um, anything that went beyond the con- code of conflict. And they would, well, I'm sorry, that went beyond a conflict resolution. And they would also be the assigning the conflict resolution team. So they would be aware of the complaint as it comes in, but they would not be managing it unless it went to that second stage. All right. You only have one other raised hand at this right. time, and it's Terry. Let's Hi, take Terry. Terry. Hi, Deb. Hey. Um, uh, what I actually, I didn't raise my hand to make a comment on this, but what I would like to see you do is um, explain to people now that the two documents have been married mm-hmm. to each other and we're considering it one and the same in many ways, why it's going to be, why it will be more difficult to make a change to the policy than it would be to make a change to the uh, process. I don't think it is necessarily more difficult. It's just that normally procedures um, don't usually require as much to tweak as actually changing a policy. For example, if we change the policy again, we would probably bring it out and have a process like this. But if we discover that one of the procedures needs some adjustment, um, for example, we've got one process in there that I believe calls for a 45-day timeline. If we determine that that we can never meet that, I mean, I hope we don't determine that, but let's just say that we did. You can you can change, usually in most organizations, you can change something procedurally. They are still two te- technically different things. One is the policy and one is the procedure, but um, what we proposed was to house them together so that people would understand the whole fluid process at once. Yeah, and that and that's kind of been my point is that I think yeah. Yeah. people need to be able to understand that that difference yeah. is there. Yeah, yeah. and I, think I that, thank you for clarifying mm-hmm. it for everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, thank you for asking it. And that is all your raised hands at this time. All right, guys. (laughs) It'd be a short Um, call. It might be. So um, um, we um, definitely have um, 
uh, the opportunity to take written comments. I will share with you. I have no problem with this so far. We are still taking uh, the written comments. Um, but I know when I shared this the other day with the presidents, it did spark some comments. So I think it's good to do. We've had um, not very many written comments so far. Um, that have come in, but there have definitely been a few. They were all kind of quick early on, which makes sense because people see the document and they comment. And and we had several people um, uh, who who commented um, very favorably on the policy. We've actually had no one who really has commented negatively on it. But we did have two people, one from a special interest affiliate and one from a state affiliate, or at least that they both actually are part of state affiliates, I happen to know. But but um, but they uh, were commenting their comments related to their relationship to one of the one of them in a state affiliate and the other one was relating to their special interest affiliate relationship where they both identified uh, incidents that they were aware of uh, that impacted them that um, they wondered uh, uh, well actually the one that was writing about the state affiliate said I'm sure this it doesn't come under ACB's national policy, but, you know, would you consider this item to be a code of conduct item if it did? And, and it was really about uh, a thing and, and, uh, an event that occurred at a state convention, so it could have con- in, been at a national convention as well. But it w- really had to do with somebody just being kind of generically rude in a situation where somebody in that state in- convention in charge needed to just deal. And um, and it sounds like maybe they didn't, <laughs> and, and um, or at least in this person's perception, they didn't. And so it would have been a hard thing to to really take up as a kind of code of conduct thing when I think there would have been all kinds of recourses for people who were in charge and observing because it was a public thing, um, you know, could have just dealt with it and should have. And Dad, then the other, pardon sorry, me? Letting you know there is one raised hand. Great. Uh, um, the other, the other item that we um, encountered that, that, this person described in the special interest affiliate did ask if this could be applied under under uh, ACB's code of conduct, and the answer would probably be no, because it is very specific to the affiliate and some relationship things. But again, it struck me that it was one of those things that, yeah, it ought to be dealt with, but uh, can't this person uh, maybe you know, just go to uh, someone they trust and ask them to help them do it. I mean, if they don't feel like they can do it themselves, because it's kind of an ongoing interpersonal conflict. So I think the two takeaways from that, that I sort of picked up were that, you know, let's not use the code of conduct as the first resort when we have problems. And secondly, we prob- we may need to add just a little more clarification. It does say that applies to ACB events, but maybe if that's a little gray for people about whether affiliate events and interactions are ACB events and interactions, we might want to make it a little more clear that it does not apply to affiliate interactions, that affiliates are their own entities. And so what that raised was the notion that maybe some affiliates might like to adopt a similar policy and um, they could use this as a template um, to do so if they if they wanted to. So um, yeah, let's take our next hand. All right, it's Anthony. 
All right. Hey, good uh, afternoon. So I have two um, sort of concerned comments and a question. Um, mm-hmm. First, absolutely, I think um, it's a great set of documents that are being housed together. I think terminology is great when we, you know, when we terminal terminalize things right. I'm a little concerned about the time period. I think that there are certain situations where, you know, a timely manner of gathering whatever facts might be needed, whatever you know, witnesses might be needed, mm-hmm. um, as well as you know, moving towards a resolution. So, is the, f- you know, is the 45 day you know, a firm, it's going to be done by that point. Um, And then my second thing is about confidentiality. And I know we're looking forward, Mm -hmm. not looking back, but, you know, it's been evident that codes of conduct in the past have not been kept confidential when they were purported to be. And I'm concerned about the piece about keeping the information and or recordings and some, you know, supplemental material. Where will that be kept? How can we be assured that it is confidential? And what will happen after that expiration period for those that are involved? How will they know for sure that that information is now no longer being kept? Thank you. Thank you. Those are great questions. So I'll comment a little bit about these and then throw it open for our other panelists to comment as well. Um, So, Anthony, I am concerned that you think that uh, code of conduct uh, events have not been kept confidential. I can assure you that the committees working on them have made every effort to keep them so. But I also know that many of the people themselves involved in the code of conducts have shared them with other people. And once you share something, you have, you know, the more people you share with, the the less control there is. So um, I think every effort is meant to keep things confidential. But if people start talking, um, then, you know, things are not. So, um, you know, I do not think that those leaks, if there are leaks, um, have come from the panels. But uh, if they have, then I think that's something that probably should be identified somewhere for sure. Um, With respect to the 30-day timeline for the original things and 45 days, you know, we've been asked to give some time so that they wouldn't just stretch on out forever. Um, any timeline, um, it you know, it says there can be an exception if if people believe they need more time or if things have happened, you know, that you couldn't collect the data. I mean, like right now, this week, it's really hard to reach certain kinds of people because of the storm, um, you know, that sort of thing. So if, if there is a perception and a parties agree that this is true, um, then obviously the time frame could be extended. But we really want to try to not extend time frames past past these amount and you can do an amazing amount of work in this many days if you actually start to do it so i think our intent is to not give things their due but to actually have time frames and um have some accountability for that and so that is um that's a totally you know totally reasonable thing i think um comments from the other panelists about these yeah, this is Chris. I, I I join you in that, and would also say I think it's important <clears throat> that the that the process uh, not only have timelines, but they're communicated um, and are known to the membership because that is the only way we can be held accountable, and it creates um, <clears throat> you know an expectation that this work is going to be done, and it was it's going to be done expeditiously. Um, and uh, that it's going to be confidential 
But confidentiality, as Deb says, uh, depends on everyone who participates in the process from the original uh, complainant, witnesses, panel members, et cetera. And uh, so confidentiality is only as good as the uh, willingness of all participants to keep something confidential. But if somebody is, Mm -hmm. you know, something believes they've been mistreated or whatever, they're probably going to be talking to people and Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, And so uh, no doubt there will be some discussions that are outside the process, um, but they probably would have been discussions outside the process to begin with, whatever Mm -hmm. the process was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mitch Pomerantz. Go ahead, Anthony, Mitch. Anthony, uh, having at one time in my past done this for a living as, as chair of, of the committee, um, I, I think it's crucial that the members, particularly those who feel they've been aggrieved, um, know that we are going to um, expedite these uh, issues uh, and and that we're not going to drag it out, but we are going to be mindful that, yeah, there will be circumstances when uh, we will exceed the timeline. But if we, if we do, if we can't conclude an investigation in the, uh, in the 45 days, let's say for a formal complaint, uh, we will be in touch with with the parties involved and we will establish a new timeline we don't want any of this to be less than transparent so um, we're going to handle this as professionally uh, as we can uh, but also with with the knowledge that these are sensitive issues that folks who uh, file complaints and the folks who are the respondents, the folks who are complained about, you know, they have concerns, they have rights, they have uh, they have feelings here. So that's at least how mm-hmm. I, as as chair of the committee, intend to uh, to proceed with the process. Yeah, and you know, it's especially tough because it's often the complainant who talks to lots of people. Um, in several of the ones that I've been involved in, I, I just wished I could have put the cone of silence over the complainant because I I feel like it is really hard when 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 I know people are looking for support, but it is really hard when they're talking to a lot of people to get that support, and then that's how the talking gets started. May um, I the other, up? oh, go ahead. So I, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, and, and I agree mm-hmm. that, you know, there are a lot of components that move that can make information, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at a broader. Um, but the documentation itself and. Yeah, um, I was just coming to that one. Yeah. OK, go ahead. So, so yeah, that's great. So thanks for the reminder. But yes, so so the documentation itself. So we have said that the documentation would be kept on file with human resources for a year. And then at that time, it would be purged. So ACB has processes for purging documents now, and that means really destroying them. If we found that the human resource uh, 
person or people that we might have in the future um, leaked the documents, um, obviously that would be a justification for going to Eric and expecting some head rolling. I mean, these are professionals. This is a professional process. And, and as Mitch said, you know, in, from his work, this is something that every organization goes through. What you can't control and, and again, this is about integrity of people who are chosen to work in this process, is documents are given to the people who are going to review them or recordings. Uh, if a recording is made of something, um, it's going to be given to the people who need it if they, in fact, need it. Um, there have sometimes been recorded materials. It's you can ask people to destroy those, but you know everything that's digital um, and electronic and everything is completely replicable, replicable without any notification or what what would prove that. So you can even say, "Give it back to me," and I can hand it back to you, but I can still have kept one. I mean, there is not a way to um, that I can think of to totally and accurately re resolve that, except that if we discover that that is happening, um, that, that like I said, some heads need to roll because um, we expect this to be a completely professional process. But if you have human beings involved, we can't guarantee um, that, that something won't happen. What we can, I think, reasonably guarantee is that we would try to do something about it and that we would try to prevent it from ever happening in the first place. But the people who need to be selected to work on these things need to be people who have generally been above reproach and who do not have a history of having done this sort of thing. They need to be very, very discreet. And the office, you know, does have processes in place for purging things and those would be followed. But um, beyond that, if somebody is truly devious and truly leaks something um, in some way, um, you know, including the complainant or the um you know the 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 person who was um you know the defendant per respondent person you know uh, who may have information because after all you're going to receive if you're the respondent you're going to receive a copy of the complaint you may not receive everything else but you are going to see that so you know it's impossible in a human structure to absolutely assure no one can get anything ever but we we take it really seriously and, and let me add, Deb, that um, the folks that, that uh, President Spoon and I have talked about, because I don't think it's public yet. Right. Uh, um, they, are, they are people that we both have worked with. We, we believe them. We know them to be judicious, uh, to maintain confidentiality. Uh, and in fact, to be professional. Um, the only way the members will um, believe that this process uh, will work is if the people overseeing them, uh, in fact, demonstrate a level of professionality uh, or professionalism. I think I just mm -hmm. made up a word. So that's that's what we are are. Um, thinking about and, and, and in the conversations that I've had with, with President Spoon, we have um, taken into consideration.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Any, Thank any, you so much. That definitely any, is that, does that help, questions. Anthony? I mean, I don't, I know there's no way to totally resolve your concern, but it's the best. It's we we, we take it really seriously. No, I'm we just glad to hear that that much thought went into it. That's yeah. that's what I was looking to hear, basically. Thank you. Yeah. We do okay, have good. one raised hand. Yes. Uh, Diane, you may go ahead. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Um, <clears throat> I guess my questions are, um, I, I just read through the document again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how will you determine who makes up the um, the uh, panel that, you know, that uh, the will originally hear the complaint and any uh, conflict resolution teams and how... Um, what steps would be taken to to maybe guard against um, conflict uh, conflict of interest or you know mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. a lot of us know each other. Yes, that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so, it's a small organization. I mean, even if we have ten thousand members or whatever it is we have, it's a small organization. And you are right. And this actually kind of goes back a little to to Anthony's concern, in fact, because it's like it's it's there to be known, you know. Um, so yeah. So the 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 teams that will be involved are presidentially appointed. And basically, um, so we anticipate that the um, that the conflict resolution teams will be appointed from a set of people and as needed. And certainly we hope that most items will go this route and we and be resolved this way. We really hope. Um, And uh, obviously you need a few people for this so that you can try to um, avoid conflict as much as possible. Um, And then, you you know, with your with your bigger uh, with your bigger cases, your things that actually go into um, an actual investigation, um, your your panel has, um, you know, basically three people there, the chair and two others. And um, presume we're hoping that that between the three, that there would be, you know, at least two people who um, would be able to be neutral. And then the the HR specialist becomes part of this. And that's a very, very neutral person who has relationship with very few people. Um, obviously, if if the team were to come back or the or the parties were to come back and say, you know, we really still are concerned that there's a conflict here. Um, I think the president would be able to to make adjustments in in that process as necessary. But you're right. It's it's sometimes been really challenging because um, people do often know people or do have preconceived ideas about people. And how do you do that? But again, part of your selection of people has to be people who are seen by the membership as being pretty objective so that I can I can disagree with you and still like you kind of thing, um, you know, has to kind of be the case. But you're absolutely right that it's one of those things that has to be kind of considered as you go along. So this is Jeff Tone, Mm -hmm. just a a quick comment. You know, I mean, there's an argument that, you know, 
if we were a well-heeled and large organization, you'd mm-hmm. have all these panels and even the conflict resolution uh, entities to come from outside sources. Mm-hmm. And you'd, you know, it, but but um, unfortunately, the reality is that that would cost a lot of money. And I think you know maybe in in, in the far future we'll, we'll get to that and we'll think we really have to go there. But if if this we are not in a position at this point in time to establish that type of fully neutral process. And we have to hope, I think, that we can recruit from within our own membership the the type of individual that um, Deb just described, and we can make this process work. Because, you know, we, this, you know, we could be spending tens of thousands of dollars every year on this process if we were to farm it out to, you know, experts in conflict resolution and, yeah. in, you know, are essentially arbitration panels. So, you know, realistically, that's what you're stuck with for now. And we, we yeah. hope and expect that it will work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the reason it will is because truly, truly um, in the, you know, uh, 18 months or so since we adopted the policy, almost all of the cases that we've seen have been interpersonal conflict over something said, something written, um, you know, definitely maybe not entirely appropriate stuff. I'm not saying it was okay, but I am saying it probably isn't really stuff that needs a big investigation. It needs to get the parties together and have them actually hear each other and hear the impact of what was said and done and, and determine if the party who said it or did it understands that you maybe shouldn't. Um, Many of the conflicts we have um, can be resolved by just um, really enforcing the um, things we have in place for our email lists and and things. So I think if we're talking about um, sort of bigger problems, bigger things that happen, those are the things that might need an investigation. But I think of the things we've done this year, I know of the ones I've been involved in, there was really only one that I thought merited some actual formal investigation. Um, and, you know, um, it, it didn't need outside people. It just needed somebody to say, this is not just a little wrong, this is a lot wrong. And um, and we were able to do that. So I, I think that you're going to find that, um, it, uh, you know, it makes it sound like our organization is totally contentious and and needing the, this intervention all the time. But I think you're going to find that if we can offer some intermediate help um, uh, that people will take advantage of, that it's going to help. And then I also think that as people kind of learn that this is how it works, they'll do this maybe more for themselves without us or with with a trusted cohort rather than coming to us necessarily. And then, you know, we'll never even know. So um, I'm hoping we get to a place like that. We have two hands yeah. raised. Mm-hmm. Um we have Dan in the audience. And yeah. We have Anthony again. Which Let's go with Dan in the go? audience. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Dan. Thank you all. I'm, yes. You're doing a. I, my call, you're doing a fantastic job. I appreciate all everybody's hard work for the from the team. Um, 
talking on Diana's thing, question, and I, I like you all to at least take that under advisement. You know, how do we ensure that we get three impartial members? The, the way it's written now, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it gives us a lot of wiggle room. So, okay. do we mm-hmm. do we put in the procedure that we have a couple of alternates, or do we? expand the committee to five of which Mitch as the chair could pick the appropriate three. I mm-hmm. I think we do have to worry about that on both mm-hmm. sides. We could have based to kind of meeting these time frames, we could have individuals for that for whatever reason have a personal commitment, but maybe they're on the committee, but for some reason not available for a few weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we could have the other side that they do have what they mm-hmm. believe something that they would like to recuse themselves because they uh-huh. do believe they have a conflict of interest. Uh-huh. So I think it would be worthwhile for the team to at least consider um, putting that in the procedure of how we would go about handling it, either, uh-huh. either raising the number so then Mitch could select the appropriate three. Might also give you some time off if you've got something <laughs> going on, a state yeah. convention or something you're working on. Uh, that would be one way, or we could have alternates or something. But I think it would be worthwhile to at least mm-hmm. uh, give the uh, the president the latitude to to appoint maybe a few more people so you have a pool or at least have some alternates that are identified so they could mm-hmm. be identified ahead of time and not do it in the I think we'd be it'd be cleaner if we did it ahead of time and not when the situation right, occurred. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because then, yeah. then you're going to get into favorites and all that potentially. Right. And we don't want to be there. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think you want them if you do that. I think you want them appointed all of the time so that if there's information, uh, process information going out or anything. I'm not talking about as so much case information, of course, yep. but yep. process information that everyone has it all the time and knows. And they're up to speed our, and knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. They're ready yeah. to go when when called upon for a specific uh, situation. So exactly. I Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. I think they're hopefully we'll, we'll add something about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Anthony... So during Sunday edition a few weeks ago, during an open hot topic session, a very unplanned conversation came up. And I think it's in genesis to other organizations and things that have happened. But were, you know, a situation to arise in an in-person event that was beyond, you know, a conflict resolution or even a code of conduct issue. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, it was referred to authorities, so to speak. Does that uh, I, I think can you can you speak to that process um, and how it works in conjunction with the code of conduct? Because I think there was a little ambiguity there. I don't quite know what your question is because we don't have any process beyond code of conduct. Right, but if something were to happen, you know, at, at convention or at leadership okay. that was an actual right. event, and let's say the police were yes. called, that would yes. what would that do to the code of conduct process, and and how would that be handled? Well, you mean a potential I mean, crime, or what? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. He's saying that you've you. It was warranted that you would that you would have some authority come, right? You talking about law enforcement, yes. Anthony? Or yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. What my my take on that is that um, <clears throat> if if the conduct complained of um, could be a crime, um, then I think that really takes it beyond, beyond ACB us. and we need to 
uh, refer that to the law enforcement authorities who can do their own investigation and make their own determination. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable with the way the process is worded to say that that only happens if uh, it's done by the president or the executive director because anybody can call the police. And I don't think we want to be, uh, I don't think ACB as an organization wants to be in the middle of determining, you know, whether law enforcement is, is necessarily going to get involved. If the if the grieved person feels that uh, they've been subjected to a crime, then they, they should be able they to call can, the police. They can, but we said that witnesses. we would, it says, Chris, that that if we're going to turn it over, if the if the team is going to turn it over to the police, that they, that that needs to be in in conjunction with, and we can certainly look at the wording, but that that needs to be in conjunction with uh, the executive. In other words, I don't think we want. I don't think that's, yeah, I, I don't agree with that because yeah. I think that. It, and that's what the could, conversation could be a long time before you, it could be right. a long time before you could get to the executive director or the, or the president because they're not there or you can't reach them. And I think, uh, well, so I don't think it's appropriate yeah. to limit it to those. Chris, I, let me, I, let, yeah. let me jump in. Because during my time as president, uh, one year, we had two such incidents. And believe me, I was notified immediately. Yeah, I think in this day and age, we can uh, notify you immediately. Unfortunately, uh, neither party uh, wished to go to the authorities. So the matter just sort of was left out there and and wasn't resolved. But... Um, at least based on my experience, uh, the president will usually be the first one contacted. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, we can we can tinker with the wording, but I I really think that uh, it needs to be um, it needs to come or go from a uh, an ACB official such as the ED or the president to law enforcement. I suppose the individual. Could, themselves uh, can certainly do that. Could, could yeah. certainly do that, and maybe we need to include that in the yeah. in the in the final document. But yeah. but I I think by and large this this is pretty clear. Yeah, I think our intent in discussing this initially was that the what we didn't want was the team doing this without the knowledge of the officials. So it, it's possible that you know, that Dan and Eric or Dan or Eric could say, whichever you were able to reach, could say, yeah, go go for that. Do it right now because you're the one with the knowledge. You're the one with us, so you can do it. But that's designating and we don't need policy for that. But um, we'll, we'll look at this again for sure. But the intent is that the parties themselves um, can always do this and that ACB has an obligation if ACB believes that a crime has committed to at least, um, you know, consider whether and 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 at that stage, we do need to involve um, our officials. So otherwise, they are not involved in this. So I mean, to be really clear, they don't know about it particularly other than an aggregate number. They don't know about it until we get to this need where we're going to involve externals. Okay, uh, this is Chris again. I am going to propose some significant changes um, based in part about what how you began, Deb, which is okay. to say that a lot of the issues that have arisen 
and I haven't been involved in the uh, <clears throat> in, in the handling of uh, code of conduct complaints at all. But as I understand it, a lot of the issues that have come up really don't rise to the level of the kinds of prohibited conduct. That's correct. We're talking about. That's so, correct. And, we and very so I think rarely. we need right. So I think what what I'm going to propose is two separate standards. Um, one, pretty much as we have it now, which is essentially very serious um, misbehavior or misconduct, uh, racial slurs, sexual uh, harassment, bullying, those kinds of things. And that, that should be there. Um, but I think we need a different, lesser standard for um, conflicts that are interpersonal and relate to things. We already like have that. Rudeness and, yeah, well, we already I don't have think that. we do. Okay. We we'll we'll we work do. this out when we're back in the committee. Because, well, no, but I want to raise you know, it because yeah, I want okay. people to, to know that I think we should have a, a separate standard, not a separate process, but a separate standard for uh, discourtesy and rudeness and that kind of thing. Um, and that I think that the, um, the, the panels ultimately that, are involved if, if someone if, if we can't resolve it through conflict resolution and then right. it goes to a formal investigation that's what it says i think one i know that one of the things that that i think that the investigatory panel should determine is which kind of conduct are we talking about are we talking about the more serious or are we talking about rude behavior and i would i would have the panel make a decision about that and then I would have essentially the, the same process um, and the same remedies, except I think some remedies might not be appropriate for the for the lesser uh, conduct issues, like you know, uh, the kicking somebody out of the organization or something like that. I don't think would be appropriate. So I think we need two separate separate standards, and I think uh, that should be reflected uh, as standards as such. You do okay. have a raised hand. Yes, let's go. All right. I do believe it's Pat 317 area code. I I have two ideas. They're not completely brilliantly formed, but I really love what you've done as a committee, and it's a great committee that we have assembled here. You're, it's I a little hard to hear you. Can you get into your phone just a little more, Pat? Okay. Sorry. That's better. Great. Thank yeah. you. I, would, I think it's a strength of the ACB that we've got such an amazing committee here and can discuss this so openly. And I really applaud this code of conduct, the whole trend. My ideas are not completely formed, but mm -hmm. brilliantly, but I can think of two situations. I think that the advisory group, the uh, conflict resolution group, mm -hmm. might wanna advertise its availability so that people at the affiliate level or a special interest level could consult with that group and get pointers as to how to work with situations that are not mm -hmm. the type of thing you'd expel someone for. And also I've kind of like coined a term like internet bullying, where it's the aggrieved person would never be in a position to file a complaint because the internet bullier would continue to you know, make an example of the complaining individual. So um, also, I really think this code of conduct has made it much easier for people, and I'm certainly not ashamed to say this, who practice minority religion. And I think the ACB is such a strong, noble 
supportive organization to so openly defend, you know, fair conduct as we support each other as we always have done. Congratulations. It's really well done. Thank you. you. Yeah, the internet bullying is one of those interesting things. Um, And, um, you know, if it happens, if it happens on any of our email lists, our email lists are equipped to be able to deal with that. And I can assure you that we have at different times. And I love groups IO because with a flick of a little mouse or a keystroke, you can take somebody temporarily off of all their lists. And frankly, if somebody is bullying, that might be the best recourse is not let them pick a different place to do that. Um, if somebody is bullying someone in a in a personal way, um, I mean, there are certainly some recourses that you have. It is hard to to enforce those because they're doing it on their own time kind of thing. Um, again, you know, you can move them off of lists or whatever. Um, it's, it's not, um, it's not the kind of thing that, that is easy to enforce. Um, but if you, um, if you think it's related to things in ACB, then, you know, you can at least, do some things and again removing the person from all you know email relationships uh, officially is is probably one of the most helpful things you can do in that case but it's it's difficult because you know uh, you can't it's difficult to mon- to manage people's personal behavior outside of the context of the organizational event what we have done though is if you send somebody some some inappropriate mail in response to something they posted to an ACB list, you're not off the hook if you just sent it to them privately and didn't send it to the whole list. Because if they choose to forward it over, we'll treat that. We have treated that as if it came to the list and they've still, the person has still been nailed. Um, So, you know, that's about what we can do there. It's, that's a tough one because what people kind of do to each other completely outside of the context of the organization, it is not something we can easily manage or that anybody can easily manage that I know of. Yeah. There are, uh, there's one more raised hand. Okay. Yes. Diane again. All right, Diane. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do have a, a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, uh, you indicate in the document that um, if something happens that you can report it to uh, an event planner. So I guess just to be clear, so if something happened at the convention, would we report it to Janet Dickelman? Well, actually, it says now that you can that you would report things. There's an email address and a phone number. Oh, and okay. Those, that's the preferred place in the new in the new process. But you can report it to if you know who the event planner is. That might be a a great way 
to get some advocacy assistance or some help figuring out if this is the best alternative. So in that case, you know, it might be Janet or it might be that you would talk to the person who facilitated the event, the, the sub part of the event. So if it happens to you in a breakout session or something, and if you have access to the facilitator, um, but the important thing is that you, you are letting someone know. So, um, but, but we have, there is an email address and a phone number um, the phone number leads to a voicemail and the email address is an email address. And both of those are monitored by the human resource specialist. And so oh. that person is very neutral and, and doesn't probably know you. And, um, uh, and basically um, we'll take that information and pass it to the chair of, of the committee and then whatever process is actually ultimately that we end up in place there would would come to fruition. So, but if you went to the event coordinator, if that was something you could do, you know, sometimes we don't know who it is and we don't want to create a barrier about that. But if you went yeah. to someone, um, it, they should help you get to the right to the right so, places or help you figure out if you have other recourses that might work just as well. Okay, because I was going to suggest if it happened in a community call, could we give it sure. to Cindy? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the other question I had was um, the you know anyone that you're going to have do uh, you know do conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. I know I had some limited training on that when I was working. So and you know, are you going to like look for people who? have done yes. that or do that professionally yes. or yeah. have experience with that in directly um, or, or some other kinds of things. We, we've talked about whether we could provide some training as well and probably will provide some, but in a volunteer organization where volunteers turn over often, um, you know, having a constant training resource might be hard. So we will be looking for people who have have some background and experience around around doing this, um, for sure. Um, that's that's for sure. So, um, uh, you know, you can certainly identify yourself as as that, and you know, that'd be great. go that far, but yeah, yeah. But but you know, basically, yes. I mean, you you don't want people who who have no idea and you don't want people who create a lot of conflict themselves. If I could just respond uh, yeah. Deb, to yes. Diane's comment. I have had over the last uh, two and a half years, I have absolutely had people come to yes. me bringing concerns and either I deal with them directly if they're, you know, a lighter, uh, usually miscommunication yeah. uh, or pass along to an affiliate if it, that is warranted, or I have uh, forwarded their concerns to the appropriate parties in the past right, with right. what was offered to us. Now right. it would be changed, but just know that I have absolutely yeah. had to do that. Yeah. And, you know, Cindy's got some protocols and expectations in place. So I think especially where the oh, event does. Yeah. So it would definitely be a, a good, not only a good courtesy, but might get your problem solved sooner it, by going directly to Cindy for that. Same is true on an email list. If this event is that bullying or whatever, and it's happening on the email list, um, you know, all of the email list owners, um, managers can always be contacted 
through that owner address that's at the bottom of emails, um, or you often know who they are and, you know, contact them right away because if they're not caught up with reading the email and haven't nailed this themselves, um, they'll be happy to. And, well, I don't know if happy is the right word, but they sure will do it. And then the other part of that is that maybe they have already started that process and they will probably not be announcing it on the list. Um, They'll just be doing it. So, you know, and then if you still feel you need additional recourse that this isn't solving your problem or isn't enough, then obviously you can move into this realm. But often um, the resolutions that Cindy could come to in the community or that those of us who manage the email list could come to will be about the same types of resolution that you might get otherwise. So, um, you know, we, we don't, I don't think that the code of conduct for most things is the first recourse. Um, there are certain kinds of things where it probably is, but I just want to get this thing stopped. Um, right. And then we can decide collectively, is there more that should happen? And Deb, we have just a little over two yeah, minutes. We, we're about to wrap up. Do we have any more hands? No. Good. Okay. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it. we might want to consider, and it would have to be very carefully phrased, but mm -hmm. some sort of a note that this process is not in a disclaimer, essentially, that this process is not intended to be the exclusive remedy for handling all situations. Mm -hmm. and, and the other part of that is and that we encourage you know, the use of other processes when they appear to be more appropriate. Mm, that, that's yeah. something we yeah. should think about. Mm -hmm. That's a great mm -hmm. suggestion. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Okay, well, thank you all. We will be having another call on um, Monday evening. And um, we will, of course, be deferring to people who've not had a chance to talk but if uh, before but when we do it. But if you would like to join us again, um, it's at the same Zoom location and so and on ACB Media 6. And so uh, we thank you so much. We will have that call and then we'll be wrapping this process up. And I really thank you all for your good thoughts and questions. And thank you so much for coming. And thank you, panel. And thank you, Cindy and Anthony. And we're done. <laughs>